and welcome to the Evolution of Business podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brady, and I'm here today with David Benetti. David has been with SWBR since 1979, starting as an intern, then architect, then moving into project management, and is now principal and chairman of the board. His clients know him for his high energy, his excellent communication skills, and as a trusted partner dedicated to accomplishing their goals. In addition to his role as principal overseeing client projects, David is also focused on business development and marketing. He's enthusiastic about being a teacher and coach. Not only does he enjoy nurturing and empowering SWBR's talented design staff, but he has also been coaching soccer for over 40 years. Thanks so much for joining us today, David. Glad to be here. Love to be here with you, Andrew. You've got a lot of energy, too. (laughs) Well, one of the things that I didn't mention from your kind of traditional bio was that you actually have a a quote on there where you talk about how uh, meaningful design creates an environment that ultimately has a positive impact on people's lives, a place that enlivens them and improves their lives. And so one of the tenets of conscious capitalism is really around a higher purpose beyond just making profits. So, so how did you get inspired to not just be a designer, but actually be the type of designer that you know, really does aim to design those spaces that really improve lives? Well, nothing comes overnight, as you well know. So, you know, we learn iteratively through steps, and we learn from a lot of other people. We, in our profession, and I'm sure in most professions, we look at other people as uh, our mentors and to learn from them. So there are phenomenal architects, phenomenal designers all around the world, and they're out there ahead of us doing stuff. They've been doing it for hundreds and hundreds of years. So I, I think part of the passion starts when you're in school. They, they really uh, kind of put it into you when you're in your design studios. And you spent hours and hours in design studios, more than anybody else really on campus. And in that, in that tank, in that incubator, things begin to gel inside of you. So it really starts in school, to be honest with you. And so many of our kids come out of school and they are, uh, they are so eager. They're so excited. They got so much energy because they've started it in these studio environments and they're ready to jump into whatever we throw at them. So I think it really starts there, to be honest with you. And then we nurture it through the years by uh, trying to empower them and give them more and more responsibility. Uh, it, it's, it's exciting to see it get released in a 25-year-old or a 30-year-old or a 35-year-old. I got some great stories I can tell you. All right. Well, we got a little bit of time, so let's. Uh, I, I'd love to hear really from from that perspective, kind kind of continuing on. Is how do you how do you set yourselves apart? You know, if you've got all these graduates coming out, and and I think that more and more young people want to work for the kinds of organizations that you know really what you're espousing, where where there is a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. And so, how do you actually enact that in in the culture at SWBR? Yeah. Well, that's the hard part. Yeah, I, w- I wish it was re- easier, to be honest with you. Uh, we, uh, we write a lot of great stuff, and we talk about a lot of great stuff, but on a day-to-day basis, it's really hard to actually stay on your game, I think. Uh, and, you know, we're studying everything from crucial conversations right now, the book that's out, and uh, teaching and training on that, to the five dysfunctions of a team, and really trying to understand how to flip that into the five critical functions of a team. And so we we are working on it, but frankly, it's hard. Uh, and every organization's got a personality and every organization's got a culture. And so as you say, we, we attract, hopefully we're attracting people that have a um, kind of a symbiotic uh, attraction to who we are. But... That's where it gets tough uh, because I'll, we'll bring a, a, a young person in. They could be from another firm who wants to move or right out of school. We don't know them yet, and they don't know us. They're attracted to certain things about us. We've got to really live together for a while, and we've got to understand who they are. And we have to take the time to listen to them. That's so critical is that we've got to sit with them and say, how, how are you doing? How are things going? How do you feel about things? not specifically giving them feedback like you didn't do this or you didn't do that or we didn't meet deadline. This is more about integrating somebody and adopting them into an organization. And that's a hard thing to do. It really takes a long time, frankly. 
Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that when anytime you invite someone new into your culture, you know, the, at least culture the way that I typically define it is really a lot of those those unspoken yeah. kind of the the way we do things around here that those pieces and so anybody that joins your company becomes kind of a co-author of that culture. And so you got to be really careful with with who's who's yeah. coming on board and making sure they do connect in some way but also contribute in some way to that culture and that they're passionate about it because um, you know, as you're growing, every new person that you add, they they are adding to that culture for sure. They they are. They are absolutely. And you know, we've had to make hard decisions through the years as we have grown and changed and morphed and become more specific about who we are where we have had to separate from some folks because it just wasn't the right place for them. And it wasn't necessarily, they weren't necessarily, as you're saying, bringing, they weren't adding to who we are. And uh, those are, that's hard. We, when we bring somebody in, we make a kind of a lifelong commitment to somebody, especially folks who are, you know, if they're married, they have children, this is a relationship that extends way beyond the employee, and we take that very seriously. We, we're responsible right now, while we have about 100 employees, but we've, we're responsible, in my mind, for about 260 people. Mm. And that includes the spouses, the kids, and everybody else. And that's a serious commitment. So we, we hire hard, I suppose you would say, you know, take the time to make sure that there's a really good relationship. And we have, with young people, People we have them meet with our young people, not just an HR person, okay. so that they can have time. Go across the street to Java, sit down, have a cup of coffee, ask them how how it means, what it means to uh, to work for us, or how how it works with working with us. Uh, versus just you know a bunch of old guys like me sitting down. I mean, I can say anything, but it's more important for them to hear it from the people that are going to be their peers. Yeah, so as culture, I mean, you, you spent a, a bit of time at SWBR now, and you worked your way up through the ranks. Uh, has, has that cultural focus always been a, a part of your DNA, or has that been something that's evolved over time in terms of kind of the, the concentration and focus on that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, uh, you know, next, after we get after over the first of the year, I'll be there 40 years. So that's, Congratulations. Uh, that's a chunk of time. Um you know, when I think back to the very, very early years when I joined the firm, the the three owners at that time really um, they really did carry the basic DNA that we still carry. That's a very interesting question. And we would end up at their and we only had twenty or twenty five people at the time. We'd end up at their homes around the piano at Christmas singing. Uh, together, we'd end up at clam bakes together. I mean, we would, it was a very family oriented, a very humane oriented organization that cared about individuals. At the same time, there was definitely a very strong business sense that, you know, this is, it's not a club, folks. This is a, this is a business. And we're, while we're here for uh, the benefit of everybody and that we all win together, um, we have to not only be espouse family values in the broadest sense of the term, but we have to espouse team values. Uh, and the team, in my sense, is everyone serves the other people person on the team. When I talk to my soccer team, there's 11 people on the team on the field at one time, right? But there are 10 people serving one other person at any given time. Mm. So all 10 are looking at every, at that other person. And so if that if all the players are looking at it that way, then they're kind of letting down what, what's best for themselves and they're trying to benefit the other person. That completely changes the dynamic on the field and in a business as well. Yeah, it's interesting as well. You were mentioning you started with maybe, maybe 20 people and now at a different, at a different level. And, and so I'm, I'm curious as well, as you're growing – how do you maintain some of that that family type of culture? Because I know that the larger you grow, that the harder it is to maintain and hold on to that. Not easy. Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's you know it's one thing. I, I mean, I'm married, and it's uh, it's but meshing two people is is hard enough. Coming from two different perspectives, and you add a third and a fourth, and then you start to have kids, and it's it's very similar in any organization. To be honest with you, it doesn't matter what the organization is. Um, uh, it's a you know call it a family grouping or organizational grouping. Um, I, I, part of it is part of it is repetitive uh, communication. 
So we will not only post our mission, but reinforce our mission and state our mission uh, over and over again when we get together. So just so that we, you know, everybody hears it and we've got it posted. So, I mean, that's a small thing, but at the same time, I think it's important. Our values, similarly, we'll review them. We teach and we train on our values on a regular basis because, to your point, it, not everybody necessarily has it memorized, not necessarily even completely believes it. So it is critical to spend the time. And it's no different at home uh, with the kids, you know, saying this is this is who we are. You know, there, there may be a right way and a wrong way of doing things, but we have our way as well, you know, and we, we you need to understand what our way is. And so we got to teach it and train it. You got to you got to say it over and over again. And, and you got to listen too, because if somebody says, I, I don't get it, you got to listen to them and say, well, tell me about what you don't get and what do you suggest? Interesting. Yeah, I think inviting them into that conversation, making them feel like they have some ownership over the culture and in giving them the opportunity to be heard. And and as you were talking earlier about the the way that they feel about certain things that are going on in the company is is so important and and I think is – too often neglected. Uh, and so I, I admire the way that, that you have been able to open up those conversations. And, and I wanted to take a step back because you're mentioning your mission and your values. And, and what, was that, what was that like? When did, when did SWBR kind of, maybe there was always that DNA, as you were saying, but when did you codify those values and, and, and write them down? And what was the process like for actually creating that? Uh, it, was a, uh, it was a healthy argument. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's probably 15, 18 years ago. I remember just working on this with a with a group of owners at the time, and we, you know, in the conference room, and we're we're writing down all sorts of things on flip charts, and we're having to parse it down and eliminate stuff which is extraneous. And there was a lot. It was a lot of work, to be honest with you. And uh, you know, and even after we got it written up. I'm not even sure that we all thought that we were completely there. And and that's okay, you know, because there's a, there's a, you know, evolutionary or iterative process that Absolutely. goes through any of this sort of stuff. You don't, you, you know, you may stay the same in many respects, but you need to be willing to relook at those things on a regular basis because things do change. And mission, while the essential mission may not change, the way you would state it might today would be different. And I can tell you that we've had several mission statements through the years, and we've been willing to change them. And the one we have now, I think, is the strongest and most exciting one for all of our staff. But they had a hand in it. They had to get they had to hold on to it. They had to make sure that they had a handhold and that they could own it. And uh, we, we had a lot of people at the table really uh, wrestling through what the right words were on that. So, yeah, things do change. And, uh, you know, I could pull the values out today and look at them. And I'd probably start to take shots at some of them and, and pick on things and say, you know, that's not really exactly who we are today. We've even changed in the last two years. I think that's okay, though. It's it's healthy to look at the stuff again, you know? Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. It's part of the reason I call call this the evolution of businesses, because I think it really is that continuous yeah. evolutionary iterative process in terms of um, wanting to hang on to that that same ethos maybe that that you were born with but how do you how do you bring that right. into the world in a in a new or a better or a larger kind of a way uh, so if there's folks that are listening that maybe they put together a mission statement or values a, a while back and and maybe it's starting to feel stale or it's not resonating as much what can, can you offer some advice on on creating that next iteration? Did you invite a cross-functional team or did you invite anybody who was interested in kind of wrestling with, as you were saying, wrestling with how to how to write the right mission statement or the, the words that, that resonated most? What was that process like? Yeah, well, uh, it we definitely involved a lot of other folks. Uh, you don't have to have the whole entourage necessarily. I mean, if you got you know, 10 people, everybody ought to be there. If you've got a thousand people, probably not everybody needs to be there. But so you got to make decisions that are practical, but still you do need to have a a really healthy cross-section. And especially today, you know, I'll be 67 next year and my 27-year-old folks who are working for me, I mean, that's a big gap of 40 years. 
and I need to listen to them and call call the generation whatever you want. I don't like to brand generations specifically, but it's more look listening to a mindset which is reflective of today's economy and today's values. And we have to listen to that in our business is wherever they are. So the cross the, the cross section is critical and and you've got to have folks that are representing the next generations there they have to be there because they've got to be able to hang, hang on to this thing and if they can't it's going to be uh it, it just won't be a successful and efficient and uh growth oriented organization you got to get to the real basic guys so yes cross-functional team get them together get them in a room feed them some good food hmm. uh have some fun do some icebreakers you know, make it a fun uh, outing. You do it once. Maybe you have to come back in a week or two and, and say, this is where we are after we kind of gelled everything. What do we think about it today? And then then there's some more input and maybe come back another couple weeks later. So it doesn't. it's not all in one shot. You know, Go at it over two, three, four, five, six weeks until it feels okay because sometimes you just got to think on it over the weekend Absolutely. or whatever you want to say. So following along that a little bit, you know, once you have this this mission and it continues to evolve and and on your website, you know, you, you call yourself a different kind of design firm and, and really talk about your focus on, on community involvement and participation, making that a priority among your among your company, but even among your, your employees. How do you really how do you foster that kind of culture? Is is there anything that you've found to be successful in in terms of again, not just calling yourself a different kind of firm, but but actually making that happen? Again, it's not easy. All the, you're asking hard questions here. These are these are not easy things to do, but they're the right things to do. And so, you, the first thing you do is you set your inclination to do the things, and that this is what we want to do. We do want to whether it's uh, foster a, foster a, an environment internally that encourages people to give back to their community, to be socially involved to have an impact in as many ways as possible. On the other hand, uh, an environment that also encourages uh, the development of families. You know, some organizations I can only suspect, I, you know, uh, don't necessarily uh, look positively on men and women who decide to start families. But we do put a high priority on that, and we want that to be something that that we support as well. So um, we've tried to learn from a lot of the best in the area. Uh, I, I count a very, very good friend, Lauren Dixon, with, with Dixon Schwabel and that organization. I have sat with them numerous times in, an, in asking these same questions. What can we do? This is what we've been doing. What what can we do next? What can we do to help us help us get to the next level? And they've been phenomenal at, at at suggesting everything from getting your activities or social committee together and let it be a cross functional team. Give them a sum of money that they can work with so that they've got some empowerment and let them let them go to it and let them have some freedom to make their own decisions. Um, you know, another thing was just simply making sure that we have an ongoing activities committee that is also making sure that we're doing stuff on a regular basis. So it's not once a year. Um, we're also making sure that the, that the chief cooks and bottle washers and those who are, you know, the, the senior people are involved as well. I mean, it's one thing to say, all right, go, go out in the backyard kids and have fun and do your own thing. <laughs> but mom and dad or the parents, the senior people, the leaders and the owners of the firm need to be there too. They need to own it with them. And if, and if the group comes up with an activity, and it may not be one that I would have thought of, I need to be there anyway. You know, I got to be there as well. And I think that helps foster up more of a unity in the entire organization at the same time. Yeah, the leading by example is, is such a big piece of that, which actually leads me right into my next question. So thanks for thanks for walking into that one. But you talk about in your company doing a, a lot of sustainability and in your design work, uh, but you're also passionate about sustainability and, and walking the talk yourself. Uh, you, you mentioned in your in your bio that you have an electric car and you also tend to a family farm. So so this this sustainability is really part of your ethos and part of you really walking the talk. So what led to your interest in sustainability? Well, our profession uh, is uh, really held accountable, I think, in so many ways and needs to be accountable because the amount of energy uh, utilized across the, the globe and especially certainly in the United States 
is heavily uh, as a result of buildings and building usage, anything that's a structure. You know, we can talk about a lot of other things that are uh, energy users, but buildings are the predominant users in society through all of the various um, systems that are in buildings. So we have uh, the potential for a huge impact if we do our homework and we do it right. I think our, our real uh, interest in this probably goes back about 12 or 14 years. The, we were late adopters, to be honest with you. There were a lot of other companies and firms uh, in the in the country who were way out ahead of us by 10 or 15, 20 years. And recognizing that uh, everything from the types of materials, the recyclability of materials, the reusability of materials, and the relationship to the environment was absolutely critical. And so they paved the way for us and we were reading and learning uh, as fast as we could. So we frankly got into it later than a lot of people did, I think. But once jumped in, we really made a, a commitment to catch up as fast as we could and uh, set up programs internally and made commitments to pursue certain approaches to our building design in, our, in that we would not stoop below or go below certain levels of utilization of materials. So once we established that, we weren't going to use, for instance, any paints that had uh, high VOCs. We made a, a personal a firm commitment that we were done with that. We were going to always require construction waste recycling, which 15, 20 years ago was, was not vogue. In fact, it was costly to do it because the systems weren't set up. Today, it's pretty much uh, a rank and file sort of thing that's easier to do, but we started it many years ago where we said, you know, we're not going to we're going to want – we want waste diversion. We just don't want to throw out the crap that's coming out of buildings just in a landfill. That's ridiculous. You know, it's just going to be there for forever, so to speak. So reusing, recycling, and then trying to use sorts and use materials that actually were sustainable in nature, came from a sustainable harvesting situation, which had a commitment from the growers, and that could be recycled then again. In other words, I've got something that's sustainably – produced, and I can now use it again after it's gone through its life cycle. So we got into a whole life cycle analysis, LCA, that was critical. And I, you know, I just needed to take that seriously for myself and look at resilience for myself and my own family. And, you know, we're, we're in a post-agricultural and, and certainly an industrial era where people have, to a certain extent, lost the ability to harvest their own food. And in crisis, it's critical to be able to do that. So I thought it was healthy for me and the family, frankly, to be able to live on what we grew. And, um, and I th it still is. And the idea of reducing my own energy or my own utilization of petroleum products or an electric car has been uh, refreshing as well. Yeah, it's, you know, it's absolutely the most fun vehicle in the world to drive. And in 10 years, just about everybody's probably going to be having yeah, I one, think but so. it's coming that way, yeah. So I, I was thinking as you, were, as you were talking, you know, in terms of the, the ability of SWBR not only to have an impact on sustainability within your own walls, but because you're designing the, the walls for, for your clients, essentially, right. uh, you know, how you can build sustainability into, into those pieces, but also how you can build a, a place. You talk about placemaking and talk about how you can build the kind of, whether it's a conference room, whether it's a lobby, what, you know, thinking through all these different elements of creating a space for more collaboration and more openness. And, and you talk about really that placemaking and in your own open design studios and collaboration in your, in your team structures. So tell me what it's like when maybe you are working with a new client who wants to build a new office from scratch, and how do you walk them through what their goals are and help them to build the kind of the kind of place that's going to reflect the the culture that they're trying to create? Yeah, that's a, a, another good question. And it, it, you use the word culture. It, we spend a lot of time trying to understand who an organization is, because each of these organizations, it doesn't matter who it is. Uh, uh, we do a lot of work on the college campuses around town. Each of them have their own kind of ethos and culture and personality and what the, what's important to them. And so we do spend a lot of time up front on aspirational goals, and we also spend a lot of time just, just trying to hang words, one-word answers on when we get all done with what this project is going to be, this physical aspect of the project, 
let's let's pull out the key words that will evoke or or will essentially communicate success. If you were going to use a word to communicate what success looks like when we're all done to you, what would that word be? And we end up with six or eight or 10, 12 words. And, but, and we limit them. They start to talk about a sentence. And we say, no, 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 you got to just go with a word. And so somebody might say warm. Okay, well, what does warm mean to you? You know, warm means a lot of things to different people. Somebody else might say colorful. What does colorful mean to you? And so we'll spend a lot of time trying to, before we ever think about anything that's physical in nature, trying to understand what uh, the essence of a project would be. And then we try to string those words and those ideas and those thoughts all the way through the project. So when we get to the end, uh, there's, there's success. And, we've, we've, and the most satisfying thing when we go back on some of the projects is to check with the group to, say, to see whether we, in fact, accomplish those words. And, uh, you know, when you only have six words that you're trying to see if you've done, it, it puts a lot of, it, I mean, there's not a lot of flexibility. Sure. <laughs> you've either done it or you haven't. So, yeah, we spend a lot of time on, on that. And we do have to figure out up front whether people are committed to a sustainable mindset. Not everybody, frankly, is. Uh, we're going to bring our bare minimums to the table. We're always going to do that. And we're always going to look to go further, but not everybody is necessarily ready to embrace that. And not everybody necessarily wants to go there. So we have to check that out up front really early to see whether we can go on that path together. And we'll, you know, have a discussion about the values and the benefits and the pros and cons of all that. And, um, and, and so I think getting, getting to know the culture and the organization, who they are, and sometimes who they, who they are today is not who they want to be. And that makes it sometimes more difficult because you're going into an organization and you're, you're getting to know them. You're seeing what they're, where they are now. You're physically walking around. You're looking around. And they're, what they're saying is not necessarily jiving with what we're seeing. And then we'll kind of push back and they'll say, oh, no, 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 don't, don't pay any attention to what you see. That's not who we want to be. What we want to be is this. So we'll have to skew ourselves toward that, obviously, and not just how to replicate where they are now. And that's a, that's a fun part because now we're taking them to a new place that they haven't been to before, right? That's fantastic. Yeah, I see so many parallels. So a lot of the work that, that I do is around helping organizations kind of create the, those values and that mission statement, but then enacting that in their organization. And it's very similar, you know, how to balance where we are now and, and where we want to be and, and these aspirations and, and make that, again, kind of iterative. Like you don't want to, you don't want to set the, the sights w- too far that, that, right. that it doesn't seem like you can achieve them. But at the same time, as soon as you put those values in place, or in your case, as soon as you start to, you know, build those walls and, and build the rooms and build the, build the, the building itself, um, not only is it a reflection of the culture, but it can also start to create the culture of the of the organization based on the ways that that you build things. And so you do have an opportunity to take them to a more aspirational level, or, or at least move them in that direction. Right, exactly, and, and enliven and excite and uh, benefit uh, the, the, everybody in the organization, so that they're just feeling. They're feeling like this is our place. This is this really represents who we are, and I, I love to come to work. And this is such a cool place. Yeah, yeah. Kind of building on that energy, and, and actually now I'm reminded as well of you know in the past few years there's been a, a movement towards this kind of open office concept, and and you know getting rid of offices and having more kind of collaborative meeting spaces and things. And and I've also seen more recently a little bit of pushback in terms of whether that is the most productive way to be or whether that can take away. So do you have a particular stance on that when you're working with an organization or uh, are you really trying to reflect the kind of open or, or less open office you know, environment that they're trying to create? Do you have a, any kind of stance on that? Well, the, I think this ultimately the, the position that we take is going to need to reflect the pragmatic and functional aspects of what it is that we're doing uh, when we're doing, depending upon the functional uh, end goals. When we're doing laboratory buildings, laboratories are going to be a very different situation where we might have safety issues and we've got you know a cellular uh, setup where you've got 10 or 12 or 15 rooms. The question then is, what are we doing with the people? If they're not in the labs all the time, where are they? And we do a lot of laboratories and they tend to be inside a four-wall type of a situation. 
Uh, we're, we're doing more, though, collaborative, collective workspaces where the principal investigators and researchers are maybe in one uh, open office area where they can cohabitate and they can collaborate as well, kind of a co-housing situation. Uh, uh, but certain things are pragmatically, they have to be like that. When you're doing offices, which are for people, um, a lot of it comes down to what the function is going to be, to be honest with you. And so we'll spend a lot of time making sure we understand what, what they're going to be doing. So in call centers where you have you know a lot of people crammed in, acoustics are critical. We're going to be almost always we're going to be in an open office contemporary furniture situation where the walls are low. But we then have to address all the acoustic issues because there's an awful lot of chatter that's bouncing around because people are on the phone and they got headsets and they're answering tech calls or whatever. So we'll deal with the acoustics, we, you know, one way or another, and we may introduce some uh, background uh, white noise just to uh, mask at the certain frequency level uh, the speech frequency so that you know people aren't intelligibly hearing anything. So it's going to be all over the place. And, and corporate offices today, to your point, are trying to move the corporate offices uh, inboard off of the perimeter walls. And often, and we just did this at our own place, uh, those corporate offices or the senior offices come in, and then they have glass fronts. And so they get a lot of natural light. We're, we're very big on natural view or on daylight and, and views. So we'd like to have, we want everybody to have daylight and, and views if possible to the exterior. So we'll, you know, put corridors on the outside and everybody gets to enjoy those. Uh, we'll put the team meeting rooms on the outside. Everybody gets to enjoy those. Move people, move offices on the inside, take the low height partitions, put them closer to the perimeter. You want to try to allow everybody to have an, a connection with the outside. Uh, it's so critical for biorhythms. Uh, you know, work inside of a, a closed-in area all day long. You have no idea what's going on outside. It, it really has an impact on your natural, uh, you know, biomechanics and biorhythms. So we think it's important to, to undo that and make sure everybody's got views. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The the whole circadian rhythm and, and being able to uh, being able to be healthy and functioning and in high energy at work is is certainly an important piece. And and I know that we sort of started to to talk a little while ago with the the new Measure Up initiative, right? Yeah, in, yeah. in terms of um, a, a way Measure Up Finger Lakes, it's been done in many other. Uh, many other regions where it's really using that that B impact assessment and taking a look at the environmental sustainability, maybe the the people sustainability and, and the kind of the worker piece and, and really looking at a holistic definition of success. And so you all were one of the kind of early adopters in Rochester of this of this measure up initiative and SWBR went through the the B impact assessment to kind of get get a look at that. Um, what was it that, that inspired you, or how did you hear about this? Why, why was this something that you were interested in pursuing? The, the advent of B Corps, Benefit Corporations, has really, uh, I think, brought forth the best uh, thinking for businesses and across the country. So there are a lot of benefit corporations. There are B Corps here in Rochester, obviously, and they're all across the U.S. The, the thing we were interested in goes back probably about six or seven years. We were really interested in uh, investigating whether we could be a B Corp. So that's where it started. Okay. We got a hold of folks here locally who were training and teaching on moving from where you were right now to a B Corp. And... One of the things that they suggested to us certainly was that why don't you take the assessment, which in this case at that time, not the measure up assessment, uh, was a fairly lengthy uh, question and answer uh, type of document, which we went through. And we scored uh, okay. Uh, you really need to get to uh, their benchmark is an 80. Uh, and we were somewhere in the 70 range, even though we just kind of went at it our, uh, blindly. So we felt, you know, okay about that. But at the same time, we said, you know what, look, at there's a lot of opportunity here for us to improve. So I think it came off of what we, the learnings we did relative to B Corps, our own interest in looking into that to adopt it for ourselves. And then over the last several years, we, we decided that we would not pursue becoming a B Corp, but we were going to apply the... Um, 
the assessment tool to ourselves. So we have done that, and now we're working in, on the various areas where we scored low to, to uh, effectively impact how, how we go about running our business. It was a natural extension to get into the Measure Up Finger Lakes initiative. I've been, frankly, I've been working on for 20 years in various initiatives in the city here in an effort to push sustainability and a sustainable mindset and environmental, you know, environmental um, thinking, which isn't just simply hugging trees. It's far broader than that. It's it's really a it's it's a triple bottom line. It's socially, you know, uh, conscious uh, thinking. It's environmental conscious and it's and it's financial uh, as well. So we're looking at all aspects of this. So this the Measure Up initiative does the best thing it does is it allows all of us to see where do we stand right now because it's hard to it's hard to improve something if you don't measure it. It's no it's no different than taking your temperature, you know, am I sick am I not? Well, you better throw the thermometer in to just see whether you do or you don't have an elevated temperature. If you don't know, it's really hard to take the next steps. And so that's why we're excited about the Measure Up tool. It's so easy to use. Anybody can go through it, and it's it's very easy to get immediate results and just to see see where are we? How do we measure up against other people? So it's a, it's really an ex- I'm so excited about it because uh, it's tangible, and we've been working for so many years to come up with something that people can use. Yeah, yeah. The the B Impact Assessment you know does a good job of really hitting on all those different metrics of success, whether you call it conscious capitalism or the triple bottom line, or you know the the people, the planet, all these all these elements that are right. that are important that. Don't go measure it, and as you as you're mentioning, if if you don't measure it, you can't manage it, you can't improve it, and so having that having that kind of scorecard, and, and a lot of the early folks that have been involved are B Corps already, and so I, I really thought that having SWBR as a as a early supporter that's saying you know we don't necessarily have the have the time, or maybe we're just not in the right place or whatever to to actually go through the certification, but we can still use this as a great measuring stick to see where we are and see where we can improve, and that's so. Right. I'm curious as you as you went through it and, and went through the process, was there any any major initiatives that, that came out of it or any kind of things that you've been working on or improving or focusing on based on the results of that assessment? Well, there's I think there's a few things. We uh, we stepped up recently and um, signed the American Institute of Architects uh, 2030 commitment which, uh, if I can remember the, the specifics on it, essentially says that we will pr- continually progress to uh, design buildings that by 2030, all of, our, all of the buildings and all, all of the work that we're doing is, is net zero energy. And that's, that's a mouthful to go there. It's very difficult to do that. But we're all marching forward. The American Institute of Architects is pulled together hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of firms who are now marching down that pathway together, learning from each other, sharing openly. So we now have put a document together that describes in detail the steps that we're going to take this year and next year, the following year, to begin to uh, make the movements that we're going to have to do and the changes we're going to have to make to get there. So that's one big thing that came out of it. Uh, We have, you know, more... uh, I think more folks involved in our firm in the environmental sustainability arena would be one. We have more folks involved in both in uh, serving on committees and groups in the organization, helping to improve the organization. So we've brought more people in. Uh, we have m- more com- community involvement, more social outreach, and more social impact relative to working with organizations and not-for-profits. Uh, so I, there's a whole lot of things. Uh, we started a women's forum to look at our diversity balance uh, with not only with women but across the board, and we brought in several speakers uh, who to to speak to us about what does it mean to try to elevate women in the workforce and uh, in ways that we haven't been doing, and we self-admitted that we hadn't been doing. We're looking to set up an advisory board soon that will have some experts on it that are going to help us deal with uh, our workplace, uh, the success of our workplace and our employee engagement, our financial success, and also our diversity planning. So I, there's a lot of things that have come out of this. Sounds to be like it. With you. And 
frankly, it's it's a mouthful, and so getting it all done, uh, it, you know, you got to be you get you're running a marathon. Obviously, you're not trying to do it overnight, so it takes some time. And it's something too with the with the whole built into the measure up you know, initiative is that you, you re reassess every once in a while to see where we've improved and making sure we're, we're recalibrating and seeing what, what, what's next and how to continue to continue to take it to the next level. So I think hopefully anyways, that, uh, it seems like you all have, have seen the value in it and, and have really invested in it. And again, for those listening that, that may be thinking about either becoming a B Corp or even if you're not interested, that there's different ways, you know, the B Impact Assessment is a, a great way to measure success or give mm-hmm. you an additional measure to su- success beyond just the bottom line. And, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things with B Corps, whether it's best companies to work for, whether it's the conscious capitalism, these companies end up, it has a positive impact on the bottom line when, when you do these sorts of things. And so given that, uh, and given that there's some research out there that shows that these companies in the long term anyways are more financially successful too, while also doing great things for their employees and for the environment, what do you think, or maybe in the, in the circles that you're in, uh, you know, other business owners, what do you think keeps them, more people, from adopting that kind of a, of a conscious capitalism or B Corp or, uh, you know, best companies to work for, a culture-driven, purpose-driven approach? Well, I know one of the things that we've talked about, and uh, it's probably selfish, but uh, it's a little bit along the lines of be, be careful what you want to learn about yourself because now you're making a commitment to somebody to deal with it. And so when we go through assessments across the entire staff and we get the results back, of course, we're going to share that. We need to share it. You don't want to just find out how you're doing and not share it. It's more important, frankly, to share it. But then now there's a responsibility. And I think that some corporations have some uh, fear, frankly, of whether we can or can't actually fulfill or pursue the solutions to this uh, these things that come up. Those that are, um, I think, have um, a more open mindset and are more fleet of feet and are able to make the changes and adjustments are probably have less of a fear factor. But there always is, you know, you ask somebody how you're doing and they tell you the truth and now, now you got to do something with it. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest things. It's a hesitancy by corporations. I don't really want to know because if I know now, I got to figure out what I'm going to do about it. But the point is, it's okay to know, you know, and you don't have to change everything and you don't have to address every single thing and you don't have to do it overnight. You can prioritize. And so, yeah, you get some results back to show, you know, for us, shows that we're low in some areas. So we're going to look at those things and we're going to say, all right, what, what do we want to attack first uh or and we'll begin to kind of plot along our way to try to attack those things but it's just so much healthier to do that it it conveys the right things to staff to management to leadership to the organizations uh if you're willing to take a hard look and be honest with yourself and it's as you say it long term those corporations do better and perform better and have the have the most satisfied and, and engaged employees and you want engaged employees. You don't want, you don't want unengaged employees. You want those that are really engaged with the corporation. So, yeah, I mean, there's some fear factor, but you got, you know, I, I just recommend get overcoming that and just go for it anyway, you know, jump in. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate that. It's, it's definitely, um, you know, once it, it's scary to ask for feedback and then it's scary to, to commit to sharing that feedback. And then it's even more scary to actually act on it and, and move forward. And so, uh, you know, you, you got to be a, a leader, I guess. And part of that word is lead and go first and take the scary step and make yourself a little bit vulnerable. But uh, I think yep, that the staff right. really values that and they, they feel the engage the engagement can come just from the leaders being willing to, to get that feedback. Yeah, that's right. No, absolutely. Right. So I'm curious as well as, as you're thinking, you were mentioning earlier on where there was times where you had to part with employees sometimes if they, if they weren't contributing positively to the culture or, you know, other things. Are, are there any stories you can share about times where maybe you had to make a tough decision that it may have either cost you some money in the short term or been, been a little bit stressful in the short term, but ultimately in the long term, it was what was best for your, your leadership and your culture and the, the company you were trying to create? Yeah, those are, you know, they're all kind of painful stories in some ways uh, because we, as I said earlier, we make such a commitment to people and we work really, really hard uh, to 
keep folks, even if they're struggling with stuff and we're struggling with things, sometimes this stuff is outside the four walls. And people are 360 degrees. You can't separate, you know, their work life from their private lives. And, you know, we've had, we've walked through situations, uh, we've walked through a lot of personal situations with folks who are either dealing with cancer or dealing with separations or dealing with uh, kids who are really very sick. And so, you know, that's the stuff that we got to own. I mean, that's part of the taking care of everybody type of mentality. And the, I think the situation with the, with uh, the separation is what's really best for both of us. And so we'll have a very open conversation with with a person about how are they doing and how are you feeling about things and are you as satisfied here as you could be. Uh, we're struggling with some things. We've been open with that. We've been open with those things over the last year or two, and so we've been working on those. We, we do a performance improvement plan with folks. We do a PIP, what we call if there's some struggle points or, or issues that we're trying to align so we're all on the same page. And so we work really hard to uh, avert having to do any sort of separation. But there have been uh, situations where it was best for everybody involved to have to go through that. It's not easy. You know, some corporations, you know, some statistics say there's always 10% at the bottom of an organization that can always be cut. Well, you know, sure, probably. I mean, but the question is, how am I taking those 10% and making them better performers? How am I helping those folks to become, uh, you know, the, the, the top performers? If we make a commitment to bring somebody in, we got to make a commitment to help them as well. It can't just be uh, leaving somebody to their own uh, to kind of wallow in lack of success. So, I mean, this are, these are hard situations. I mean, they just really are. Uh, yeah. No, I, I admire that kind of compassionate approach. You know, what you were talking earlier as well about people that want to start families and, and how that impacts their career and and really as an organization trying to do its best for you and, and best for them and trying to find those those win-wins, right, as, as often as you can. And it's not, not always possible. But even when you do need to have some kind of separation, to, there's still a, a conscious and a compassionate way to, to do that. And so it, it sounds like, you know, you've really, you've really integrated that into your system to, to make it so that people feel like, you you gave it your all to, to give them a chance and and, and there wasn't any uh, they, it, it wasn't just a, an ex, they weren't an expense to be cut you know making them feel cared for because sometimes if you don't get rid of those folks in a compassionate way it also sends a message to the people that are they're still in the organization and it could hurt your your internal culture when you, when you get rid of somebody yeah and we I say to the folks who are working with me is that people are more important than projects I mean we do projects and we got a lot of things that we're doing that are called projects. But they pale in comparison to the people. People are way more important. And so if, if, if you're struggling or if you're not you know, doing well, it's way more important to deal with that. And we'll deal with the project. The project, we'll get that done. Don't worry about it. You know, you're more important. And we got some stuff going on right now in the firm where people are struggling with some things and parents and, and stuff. But, you know, you got to take care of that stuff. We just had somebody just had a baby. It's very exciting. And we're all celebrating that. And so uh, people are more important than projects. Got to keep got to keep things in right perspective, you know, and that's true in business too. And business can't be the, the the grand dictator. We I say to folks, and I've said this when I was serving as president, that our goal is to make you as prosperous as you possibly can be, and that's that means that we're going to give to you as much financial support as we possibly can within the bounds of what the business can possibly do, you know, and. That's just one part of it. You know, prosperity has, you know, there's financial prosperity, but there's also career prosperity, family prosperity, personal prosperity. There's all sorts of aspects to it. But we want, we want people to prosper, and that's really critical. If, and and if, they, if they feel that and believe that, and we have to communicate it, and we have to do it, obviously. We can't just say it. Then it makes for a much healthier organization, I think. Well, somehow we're, we're coming up on our time, but I do want, you, you mentioned kind of the future of SWBR and, and the, the future a little bit in terms of aiming for the, that net zero commitment that, that you talked about. Is there anything else you see coming along the lines in, in the future for SWBR in terms of the way you see the industry evolving or your company or your purpose evolving? Well, yeah, sure. That's a good question. Uh, tough to answer. The, the industry is, the industry is, 
is going to be evolving significantly with regard to how they look at uh, buildings as more uh, biomimicry. And that's that's just going to become more and more and more a standard. It's going to take a, a while to get there. The goal being, you know, being more in touch with and relational to the to the environment that they're situated in, and be, and going toward net zero. The recyclability of materials is going to be critical. Where, where if I have a building, and it's been up for a number of years, and I'm going to take it down for some reason, I can take those materials, the vast majority of them, I can reuse them again somewhere else. So recyclability is going to be critical. Uh, the advent, you know, the technologies we're using today are, you know, pretty wild and crazy. It's it's a lot of fun to see what the grads are coming out of school just as, you know, kind of the, their norm where I, I look at it and I, I, get, I get pretty blown away and dazzled by the stuff that they can do. So technology is going to have a big impact on that biomimicry and the analysis side of things. We're going to be able to analyze performance of buildings very successfully because we've got now 10 or 15, 20 years of data that, that the computers can crunch to show whether or not if we do certain things with buildings, they actually will perform the way we're expecting them to perform from a, from a uh, life cycle uh, cost uh, uh, standpoint. So that's going to change. Um, you know, there's always going to be young, young folks in a firm and older folks and those in the middle, and we're going to be encouraging a lot of growth and a lot of involvement in a lot of different sorts of ways inside of firms. They're going to become more uh, I think they'll become more collaborative across the states uh, where we're working together more and more and more, you know, so it's not just each firm's an island, but firms are clustering together and working together more uh, and sharing information. Yeah, it's it's an exciting time in a lot of ways. Well, uh, David, I, I so appreciate you coming on and joining us today. And for those that would like to learn more about SWBR and learn more about Measure Up, we're actually, if you're listening in real time, we're, we're going to be having an upcoming meeting where we can learn a little bit from what SWBR has, has got out of the process and, and what you may as well. And so we'd encourage you to attend that. We'll look forward to, to that coming up. And, uh, and David, thank you so much for joining us today. And we'll look forward to, to chatting again in the future. Can't wait. It's always fun talking with you. Thanks a lot. This episode is brought to you by Wicked Squid Studios, Rochester, New York's premier podcast development team. The Wicked Squid family brings ideas to life through the art of audio production. From custom jingles and creative services to studio memberships and educational curriculum, their outfit strives to empower all members of society to build a more equal and colorful world. Learn more about their operation at wickedsquidstudios.com.